Thank you so much, um, Church, uh, for giving us the opportunity to go to Korea, to be with family. Um, I wanted to say thank you so much to Pastor Lynette and Jaron, who are both now sick. Uh, <laughs> pastoring's not easy. Uh, and so um, I want to thank them and the leadership and Pastor Wayne, um, who all just stepped in uh, as the body of Christ while we were gone. Um, so we went to Korea. Well, we thought we were going to Korea on Saturday. And we get there, and did you know that passports for adults expire in 10 years, but, but for children, it's five? Yeah, yeah. So I'm usually kind of on top of things, but we had been pretty busy um, leading up to uh, our trip and did not notice that Noah's passport was expired and we could not get on the airplane. Um, and it was a Saturday, and the only passport office was up in Seattle. Um, it's the only place you could do it, and expedite. You only had an appointment, which we could only get on Tuesday. And then we came up, and on Monday, we're waiting in line. Um, at 8 o'clock on Monday, without an appointment, we get it done. And then I end up spending about a, a cumulative of 12 hours on the phone uh, begging that uh, our flight will be rebooked um, to the point of tears at times with 12 different agents, all of them telling me, sorry, there's nothing you could do, and me saying, I'm not taking no for an answer. <laughs> <laughs> so we finally get booked, we go, um, we arrive on Wednesday. So I want to, if there's, get the thing up. So here's Noah and Elliot, a uh, couple hours in the passport office in Seattle. Um, Thank God for screen time. Um, about uh, three days later, we finally arrive in Korea. Um, pretty tired. Um, and I missed out on um, a reunion gathering that my aunt had like, planned for us on Tuesday. Uh, we got in on Thursday, went to Kidzania, uh, met with more family. My aunt, uh, who was leaving the next day, uh, wanted to see us before. We went, saw how uh, people lived back in the old days at the museum. The, those people weren't alive then. Um, and then we had lots of fun. Um, you could tell that the parents also jumped in because it was so fun. That's an infinity pool of balls <laughs> overlooking the Han River. Um, uh, we went to uh, Noah and Elliot's great, great grandparents' graves, um, which was phenomenal to um, experience that. Uh, we met more, this is not even all my family, not even like half of them, so lots of family. Um, and then we drove out into the country, uh, Korea is 70% mountains, um, so it is just breathtaking. I think I'm making Jungwon a little homesick. <laughs> and, um, and so we drove out, we went to the beach, um, it was really windy, we were only there for like an hour. Uh, and then we went to the Olympic State Winter Olympic Stadium, and we got in like literally one minute before an actual ski jumper went um, on the Olympic uh, ski lift, which was like never again will that ever happen in my life um, to be like right right behind him. Uh, that was phenomenal. Uh, we went to Minsuk Chun uh, Folk Village. Uh, Mark got up at 5.30 in the morning, climbed the highest mountain in Seoul, came back down, we climbed another mountain. <laughs> Poor Mark. <laughs> um, 
that's not actually the background, you know. <laughs> it's photoshopped. Um, and then my mom, who never asks for anything of her agenda, um, said, the one thing I have on my bucket list is that we would go to Kyung Book Palace and wear humbooks and take pictures. So we did that the last day, and it was really great. Elliot thought it was hilarious. Um, so that was pretty much our trip in a short nutshell. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, uh, is all I can say. We needed it um, so deeply. So while I was gone, I planned to preach an old sermon that I preached um, probably about five different times at other churches and places, um, but I don't think I've preached it here at West Hills. Um, and if I have, I'm going to blame it my jet lag. So I'm so sorry. Um, I, I am really sad about what has happened um, in our denomination um, and mostly the process um, and the spirit in which it happened on both sides. Um, I prepared this sermon way before uh, when I actually knew what was going to happen in Omaha. Um, and I've just been praying for the Holy Spirit's power to work in us. Um, and so I ask for your grace. If you were at family camp about three years ago, uh, you might have heard some version of this sermon. Um, and if there's parents with little kids, uh, most of them are at camp, but um, there is a little bit of a sensitive material in it um, where I talk about something that was inappropriate. Uh, that's the extent of the details. Um, uh, but uh, if you want to take your kid and grab a drink of water and come back, uh, you're welcome to do that. So who in here has ever needed to forgive anyone before? Anyone? Anyone? Okay. Who in here has ever needed to be forgiven? Yeah. No one? Oh. Okay. That should be everybody. Somehow we have forgotten these simple, profound truths. We are all in need of God's grace. And someone who has deeply hurt us is also in need of God's mercy. The last time I preached, which felt like forever ago, um, it was about the how the kingdom of God happens through a nonviolent, non-revenge-seeking people of God. I ended with Luke 20, as Jesus reappears to the disciples and says, peace be with you, peace be with you, peace be with you. Receive the Holy Spirit, I breathe upon you, and here's how I want you to go out, forgive, forgive, forgive. The Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. I needed to forgive the people that wouldn't rebook my flight. In Luke 7, when Jesus is anointed with oil by a sinful, sinful woman with her tears and her perfume and her very hair, Jesus says, the one who is forgiven much loves much. There's a deep correlation with our sinful nature and the acceptance of God's lavish grace that helps us extend grace to one another. Someone shared this with me this week. C.S. Lewis's quote, 
that everyone thinks that forgiveness is a lovely idea until you have to do it. (laughs) Over the years in ministry, I know it will take an act of God for some of us to forgive some of the awful things that have happened in our life. The pain is real and deep, and it is why forgiveness is powerful. Forgiveness is hard and messy and complicated. It is not easy. Why? Because forgiveness requires a willingness for us to enter into our own pain and the pain of someone who's hurt us. When we only can see something from one side, then our ability to see God and how God sees another human being is hindered. I think forgiveness is one of those things that's just best told through story. And I don't want to ask anyone to go somewhere that I'm not willing to go myself. So I hope by modeling some vulnerability that you can find the courage to go to the hurt places, to name the ouchie, and to bring it to our God, the only one who can heal and bring transformation. So the first time I had to forgive someone, like really, really, really forgive, like not like my brother left the toilet seat up again, Um, but the big stuff. um, So I grew up on a cul-de-sac of eight houses in Spring, Texas. We call it Sprang, like it already happened. Um, And all the houses had at least two kids, and we all were relatively about the same age. Um, My extended family all lived in Korea, um, and so this little... Spring, Texas, cul-de-sac, houses, was my extended family. Um, Nobody moved for 20 years. We all stayed together. My next-door neighbor was about the same age as me. Uh, We're going to call him Billy. And about five or six years old, um, he was inappropriate with me. As the years went on, I grew more and more resentful of him. And I remember in fifth grade that I was in the popular crowd, whatever that means in fifth grade. Um, And I remember that I had a birthday party. And I intentionally had our classmates over. And I intentionally did not invite Billy. I purposefully excluded him because I wanted to get back at him. Mirsoff Wolf, in his book, Exclusion and Embrace, says that when rage is kept within and not brought to God, the only safe place, then the darkness of our own heart and the darkness of the systems of the world allows our rage to birth into exclusion. We push people away into labels and corners. And I didn't know Jesus then. And in my own shame, I had no place to process my hurt. Then one of the worst things happened. One of my friends liked Billy. I felt it my job to warn her and everyone else about what a horrible person he was. So in some weird fifth grader kind of way, I explained what happened to my friend. Of course, my friends went and asked him. Of course, he denied it. I remember walking home back from the bus stop and asked him, why did you lie? And he simply said, don't ever talk about it again. I went home. I was confused and validated for my experience. I cried to my mom. Now, my mom is one of the most loving, 
generous, wise, incredible people I know. So what I'm going to say, please don't judge her. <laughs> she told me go to go back to school and tell everyone I lied. After some counseling, after many years later, I asked my mom about it. And she explained that she was one of the only immigrants in our whole neighborhood. She didn't know what to protect me or how. Billy's dad was a lawyer. His mom was the town gossip, was a socialite. And we were just lowly immigrant family without any social connection. She wanted to end my pain and didn't know how. She did the best she could with what she had. Again, in seventh grade, the same thing happened. My friend liked him. I guess he was cute. Um, I wanted to protect her. I told her what happened. And then all the same thing happened again. My elementary friend says, oh, she did the same thing in fifth grade, and she said she lied about it. They ended up dating. My plans to retaliate and feel validated failed again. For years, all the way up until college, my childhood friends would call me a liar. Even though I knew I was telling the truth, nobody believed me. And the hurt and the resentment deepened. But at the end of my freshman year in high school, my friends grabbed me after the end of the year talent show. They told me that Billy's dad had a heart attack and drove his car into a telephone pole and instantly died. This was the first person I ever knew die. And in my little cul-de-sac, neighbor, family world, it was like my uncle died. And the grief stayed with me for a long time. I remember going out to the cul-de-sac, and there's like a little circle, and there's cars all around Billy's house of family members. And we sat in front of my house, and I sat with Billy. And he wept and told me as his mom would go into his dad's closet and smell her husband's clothes and sob. And I sobbed with him. And in that moment, my enemy became human. And in that moment, I was able to forgive. We continue to have a relationship that's peacefully carried on for 30 years. Why is it so hard to forgive? One, we don't view the other person as human. We believe that we are more than human. And we believe that God is merely human. So one, we don't view the other person as human. And when I say human, I mean that Every person is created in the image of God, has breath and value and worth, and, and every person is worth something to someone, regardless of how whacked out someone else is or how whacked out you are. 
they, we, are all still loved by God and forgivable. It's so hard to forgive when we don't think the other person is human. Maybe it's because we don't know them that well. We don't know their whole story. Maybe it's because we're too close to them. We know all their quirks. Maybe we're so hard-hearted and self-righteous like Jonah that we don't want to see people that we think are evil and wicked receive God's forgiveness and mercy. Maybe the pain is too fresh and painful to bear. Maybe we haven't let ourselves feel what we need to feel first. Friends, feel all your feels. It's healthy. Forgiveness doesn't need to be rushed. But resentment shouldn't last forever either. We villainize, we demonize others because especially when we're hurt, it's easier to want to validate ourselves by gathering others against another person rather than going privately to our offender to try to reconcile. Because we risk being misunderstood or being corrected or being vulnerable to more pain. It is so easy to view ourselves as the victim and another as a villain. I was deeply stuck in a victim mentality for much of my early 20s. Until I learned Hurt people hurt people. Thankfully, I had the most amazing counselor, I talk about her all the time, um, Dr. Jody, who had a PhD from Oxford in forgiveness and grace, (laughs) I know, who walked with me in my spiritual journey. When I told her the story of Billy, I secretly hoped, yes, she's going to trash him with me. Finally, vindication. But instead, with great compassion, she told me that it was possible that Billy was probably abused as a child. My heart dropped. My eyes opened. How could I have not thought about that? In my hurt, I was blinded by his. It wasn't just that he was hurting, and hurt me, but I was hurt in trying to hurt him too. Hebrews 12, 14, 15 says this, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. As Christians, the scripture is inviting us to make every effort to see that everyone is able to receive God's grace so that no poisonous root of bitterness will grow up and cause trouble and defile us. Man, what helps us not get this trouble-making bitterness grow is ensuring that God's grace is extended to everyone. Amen? Because hurt people hurt people. And hurt people want other people to hurt the person that hurt them. We want people to feel the pain that we feel. 
We want someone to pay for their wrongs. And as Christians, we need to be reminded that someone did pay for all the sins of the world. When we seek revenge, we cheapen the cross. It's easy to sit and say, Jesus died for my sins. But we forget that Jesus died for everyone's sins. Jesus died for your enemy's sins. Jesus died for the person that hurt you. Someone did pay a big cost. We need not to seek revenge. Two, we believe that we are more than human. We believe that we are the judge and that we are to retaliate. We are to vindicate by any means necessary. James 4, 11, 12 says, Do not speak evil or slander against one another, brothers and sisters. Is there any one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy? So then, who are you to judge your neighbor? Somehow we believe that we're more than human, that we're God. God is the lawgiver. God is the judge. And Christians, above all, should be the least judgmental people. Amen? Now that's... Christians should be the least judgmental people. Amen. And the reason why we didn't get a big amen is because we know that we're not. Because we have been hurt and judged by Christians. And with that, I, I lament. I'm sorry. Forgive us. God sees what's going on. And God will judge. It doesn't mean be passive. It doesn't mean that you can't be angry. But in your anger, do not sin. The translation is, do not seek revenge. God is God, and I am not. Only God sees the whole story. Luke 6 says, do not judge, or you will be judged. Do not condemn, or you will be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. I tried really hard to hurt Billy. I tried to exclude him. I tried to gather other people to hate him with me. I failed. But as I put my trust in Jesus, I had to believe and trust that God sees everything and would be my validation. I didn't need to retaliate on Billy. Didn't mean that you don't speak the truth, but when we do, we have to check our heart and ask God, is there revenge and bitterness within me? We want retributive justice for others and restorative justice for ourselves. Pastor Michael Higdalo wrote an article on forgiveness where he says, when people commit an offense against us, our natural inclination is to commit an offense against them. Not just an offense, but an offense that is bigger and badder and one that hurts far more. We call this revenge. I call it instead of an eye for an eye, it's like an eye for two legs. We tell ourselves that justice has been served and believe this because deep inside of us 
it feels really good to get even. Except when we do, we didn't get even, we got ahead. Vengeance comes back, and it never ends. Jesus individually and systemically wanted us to to end the hate and violence, and that's why he said, mercy triumphs judgment. Another way we don't forgive is by resentment. Something inside us believes that withholding forgiveness will allow us to control the situation, but it doesn't. It slowly kills us. It is said that resentment is like drinking poison, hoping that it will kill someone else. It doesn't work. There's a process, um, a five-fold process of uh, unhealthy conflict. First comes avoidance, then exclusion, then gathering others against, and the last, oh, missing one, slander and gossip, and the last one, destroy the other, kill the wabbit. That was the trajectory I was on with Billy. Three, we believe that God is mere limited human being like us. It is so hard to forgive when we don't believe God is God and is able to convict and transform and change people. We take matters into our own human hands rather than trusting and imitating a God who in Psalm 103 says that the Lord is merciful and gracious. God is slow to get angry and full of unfailing love. God will not accuse us constantly or remain angry forever. God has not punished us for all our sins, nor does deal with us as we deserve. This is who and how we should reflect ourselves in the world. What helps me forgive is to remember how much I've been forgiven. So what can we do? This is the stuff I get it and I forget it. So I journeyed back into history to the ancient fathers of hip-hop and rap from the 80s and 90s to help us navigate a little bit a community that is marked by nonviolence, non-revenge-seeking, kingdom method of love. So our first father is Vanilla Ice, who said, stop, collaborate, and listen. God is God, and we are not. God is able to love, forgive, and redeem. So stop. Stop first. Halt. Are you hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? Do you want to hurt the people who hurt you? Don't say anything that you're going to regret later. Luke 6 says, A good person brings good things out of the good stored up in their heart, and an evil person brings the evil things stored up in their heart, for the out of the mouth speaks, for, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Second is collaborate. First is to name your ouch and take it to Jesus. But there are times when we do need to talk to someone when the situation is complicated and painful. It's always better to talk with someone than about someone. But if you need to talk to someone, everyone do this. 
the peace sign, right? That's about how many people you should talk to. It should be purposeful. It should be always to be seeking to restore a relationship, to heal our pain, not kill the rabbit. A mentor, counselor, pastor, a trusted friend, a close, a close um, family member, someone who could be objective. I try not to talk to people that I already know have beef with the same person. Because if I'm honest, if I'm doing that, it's just because I'm trying to seek revenge, right? And if it's in community or if it's at work, um, we have a saying in our house, complain up. Try not to complain down or to the side because it does get sideways and it causes harm and division. I try to talk to people that know me and love me, but I also try to talk to the people that don't put up with my slanderous talk. My husband's one of those people. He'll call me out on it quick. So let's move away from enemy-making towards peacemaking. Notice I'm using the word peacemaking and not friend-making because it's not healthy for us to be friends with everyone. We can love and forgive and still not be best friends because some relationships are toxic and abusive. You can offer peace and forgiveness and still not be in close relationship. It's not unloving to have boundaries. And if the relationship is abusive and you're in that now, get out of it. Now. Not tomorrow. Now. And if you don't know if you're in an abusive relationship, talk to a healthy, trusted person today and begin that discernment. It was hard for me as a Christian growing up, as, a, as I became a Christian, learning about turning the other cheek. <laughs> um, turning the other cheek is not about just becoming a punching bag. That's what I originally kind of thought it was, my martyr syndrome. Turning the other cheek is about not retaliating with the same punches, not returning evil with evil, but overcoming evil with love. And listen, spend time to listening about what is true of who you are. You are God's love child. You are God's love child. You are God's loved child who has been forgiven much, so love much. Second one is Ice Cube which I know all of you listen to. So you got to check yourself before you wreck yourself. You got to check yourself before you wreck yourself. You got to check yourself. Anyone? No. No one else is rapping with me. It's okay. But you got to check yourself. Come on, Nicole. I, oh, there's my girls. Okay. Um, but I think that we got to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves and others, right? We are not more than human. Luke 6 says, how can you say to your sister and brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own? 
You hypocrite, take the plank out of your eye, then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your sister or brother's eye. A practice that's been helpful for me is daily examine. Um, it's actually an old, real ancient father, St. Ignatius. Um, it allows us to come to see ourselves with daily, I mean, with godly sorrow. Um, having a human view of ourselves helps us view other people as human too. So you start the day with, at the end of the day usually, with an awareness of God's presence. You reflect on the day with gratitude. You observe your emotions, your behaviors, your habits. You review a part of the day and ask questions like, when did I love? When did I fail to love? And then repent and respond differently tomorrow. Forgiveness is not a one-time event. I wish it was. It is an ongoing process that's messy. And we can forgive someone once, and then something will happen that will trigger us, and then we have to forgive again. And Jesus was asked, how many times do you need to forgive? Ah, 70 times 7. My calculator, okay, Jesus, 49. Okay, so that means that the 50th time I don't have to anymore? 70 times 7 means completeness. Until it's complete. Until it's done. So be gentle with yourself and generous to others. Our last ancient father is young MC, bust a move. We got to bust a move towards the restorative and not the retributive. All humans are human. We got to bust a move away from the retributive justice of slandering and judging and hating and violence and vindication and move towards the restorative justice of God's love, mercy, kindness, gentleness, healing, reconciliation. We have to keep short accounts and as private as possible. Matthew 18 says, first go to the person one-on-one, and if you can, just avoid the entourage. The longer we avoid someone, the more we're tempted to humanize them. So keep getting closer, keep leaning in. Unless it's really abusive, then you need to bring someone with you. Ephesians 4 says this, put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling, wrangling. Are you guys wrangling? (laughs) Wrangling and slander together with all malice. Be kind to one another. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another. as God in Christ has forgiven you. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, we only stand alone before one, and that is King Jesus. And to Jesus alone do we answer for our thoughts, our words, and our deeds towards one another. 
And this should put in the humble pie fear of God in us. We should choose that fear of God more than the fear and judgment of other people. Because that fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. And that heavenly wisdom in James 3 is described as this. Wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The fear of God is the beginning of that wisdom. And by God's mercy and grace, we need it. Amen. We need it in our lives. We need it in our church. We need it in our city. We need it in our denomination. We need it in this nation. We need it in this world. So may we fear the Lord and not people. And may we take some time to stand before the one, the one that matters, and allow God, with his graciousness and goodness, his forgiveness, to examine our hearts. I'm going to ask Pastor Brian to come up as we look at not young MC, but some questions. This is kind of a, a version of daily examine. Let's see. While Pastor Brian plays, I'm going to just read these questions. And remember, it's you and you alone before a loving God who sees and knows everything, who loves you, who extends compassion and mercy, who paid the price. Jesus, where do I hurt, and who have I hurt? When did I love this week? And when did I fail to love this week? Who do I need to forgive? Who do I need to ask forgiveness? And for some of us, that forgiveness might not be able to be possible with the actual physical person, and that's okay. You can, you can do that work with the Lord.
We praise God, whom all blessings flow, who is slow to anger and abounding in unfailing love, who is opening arms with your pain and your hurt, ready to embrace you, to offer compassion and healing, transformation and forgiveness, so that you would know how forgiven you are, so that you will love much. May it be so by God's mercy and help. Will you stand with me and recite this version of the Lord's Prayer? Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And do not let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Amen.